Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. One that everybody wants me. You're gonna acknowledge me. Welcome to the WWE Podcast. It's time for your week in review. It's Sunday, April 9th, 2023, as we roll towards backlash and little under four weeks now as uh, Puerto Rico will host the Backlash event. And we've got a lot to talk about as we do every single week here on the WWE podcast. And I'd like to first welcome brand new member to our Patreon family. And that's Eric Trombley. Welcome to the to uh, to the fun. Enjoy the Discord server. Enjoy the uh, exclusive podcast of the After Dark Show, which I'll be recording a brand new episode right after this. And Again, the, the After Dark episode, anytime you see those guys, number one, they are for the SmackDown tier and above, but secondly, they are not family-friendly. Let me just leave it at that. It is a adult topic time. It's kind of like a, you know, your, um, you, you, your, your parent's show comes on after the cartoons on a Saturday night. That's what this is. So anyway, that's going to be coming up after this if you are on the SmackDown tier on Patreon. If you're not, what are you doing? Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Get yourself ad-free, get the exclusive podcast, and get video, everything else. And if you want to join us ad-free, you can also do it on Apple Podcast on the uh, Subscribe Now app, or the Subscribe Now button, or wwepodcast.com. Go VIP. All right. Time to talk week in review, as many of us have feared that Vince McMahon is fully back in charge. And... It's perhaps time to realize that fear. I, as I watched Vince McMahon's interview, he did. I think it was at ESPN or wherever, and someone described him as looking like a cartoon villain with his mustache. I think that's perfect. Right? He does look like he belongs on a wanted poster. It's very bizarre. His mustache. I don't know where what he's thinking. He must have been watching some movie and got inspired. I, I don't know. But it's a very odd-looking mustache, and especially that he dyed it black, which is, you know, about 25 years ago he had dark hair. So it's all just all-around bizarre. And uh, anyway, so I was watching his interview. As many of you may have seen the clip of his, was Vince McMahon's interview where he talks about, he was asked point blank, hey, 
are you in charge of creative? And Vince's answer was yes and no, meaning he gets input on the big stuff, but he's not quote unquote in the weeds. Now, Vince has said this before, and it turned out that he was still in the weeds. And what does in the weeds mean, right? Day to day. Does it mean not every decision, but I still show up on TV? Does it mean I still run the show uh, via uh, satellite or via like a web conference or virtually? We've heard about that. We've heard about last night or last night, last week's Monday Night Raw chaos. It was one of the worst rated Raws in, in recent memory. It was critically panned by nearly everyone. Uh, I, I think I was a bit kinder than I may have should have may should have been with uh, my co-host last week, and I, I just I don't know. It, it seems as if it has been a universal dislike if Vince is back in charge. And the worst part about this is Vince is lying, right? That seems to be what the case is. The track record is not on Vince's side by any stretch, and not just from a fan perspective, but from a stockholder perspective and from a in the back perspective, if you're a wrestler or you're, you know, you're in any kind of uh, really any, anybody in WWE and you have to deal with Vince McMahon and you were excited when he left and Vince, you know, Triple H took over and he got it, you know, an eight healthy months by himself. It felt like the product was fresh and new and, and we're finally going to get some new ideas and we did and things were slowly changing and sure, Triple H wasn't exactly perfect. It's it's You can't be perfect. That's an impossible standard to achieve, but it at least was a different way to look at the product, bring the words pro wrestling back into it, bring respect back to factions and to the championships and give new uh, opportunities to new individuals. And sure, he brought some people back that definitely didn't turn out well, but it was just, it felt finally like anything could happen. The narrative that they tell us all the time, anything could happen, anything could happen. And it was just nonsense. Well, we finally got that until suddenly things started feeling weird. And we all kind of felt it, right? And it felt like, you know, this is very Vincey. And you're, you're not hearing anything from WWE. It's all radio silence. And then the day after WrestleMania concludes, what do you know? Vince is only dealing with the high-level issues, not quote-unquote in the weeds, which is a whole bunch of BS. If you were going to put a gun in my head, which I hope you wouldn't, but if you did and I was forced to choose and my life was on the line on the on the validity of the answer, I would go with Vince is back in charge in the weeds, meaning day to day. And think about what that means for Triple H, right? If he has to go out there, if Triple H has to go out there and conduct these press conferences and justify decisions that he's not even making the crappy decisions that say Vince makes and triple H has to go out there and try to validate them. I mean, that, that is just awful, right? I mean, let's hope that's not what's happening, but it's very plausible that it is. And it's just time that Vince gets the hell away from creative. And I don't, I'm not trying to take this to the extreme that Vince is just, you know, Satan incarnate. Okay. He has provided, some of the biggest moments in wrestling history. He's come up with some of the most genius characters of all of all time. He's the one that created the Undertaker character, among others. He has had some great storylines, some great moments, and let's be honest, we are all here because of Vince McMahon. But, but, we draw the line when it's time, and, and Vince doesn't know when to say when. And until Vince is truly... In the grave, I don't think he's going to let uh, let go of control. However, 
the shining light in all of this is that Endeavor has 51% control and they paid a premium to WWE to have that control. Meaning, if there is enough of a collective uproar from all sides, from sponsors, from management within WWE, within the fans, the general public, the shareholders, the stockholders, if we all band together and we yell loud enough, I think Endeavor will listen and remove Vince completely from creative. And I think that that's possible. And we'll never know truly if that's the case, right? Because we don't know exactly what's going on backstage. But if if it is what we all fear it is and that Vince is just back to being Vince and you hear about the crazy you know, tearing up of the show, the day of the show, the hours before the show, as the show is going on, you hear all this chaos and everything. Like, that is unprofessional. It's going to drop morale, especially you know among the guys, but also among the fans who just don't want to see the same thing be run through the same guy for 40 years, okay? You got to know when to call it, as I said. So uh, I'm not trying to bring the show down right away, but I wanted to address before we get into the details of the on-camera stuff that happened this week in WWE. And there's a lot of good stuff, I think. Um, But if Vince is back in charge, it is a downer for the majority of people listening because we all know what Vince is capable of at this geriatric stage. You know, we all know that if he is the true final filter, it's... You know, it's not a good thing, you know, because we just need a fresh body, a fresh mind. And Triple H has been more than capable. And uh, it's just not a good thing all the way around. So my point is, if we all can collectively join together and just say, hey, Vince, look, you have you have brought a lot to this industry. We are all here because of you and we thank you. But step aside, bro. Like, it's just time. And that's the approach I would like to take. And uh, many people just hate Vince's guts, hate everything he stands for, everything, right? Like, I'm not taking that extreme approach. I'm just going on a professional level. And that's what I would say. I mean, if, if I could control Endeavor, I would have an uh, Endeavor, not fire Vince. If he wants some big key back office, uh, you know, position, by all means, bro, go for it. But it cannot be any hands-on creative, no input, unless he is just asked, right? doesn't get any regular input on big topics or small ones at all, right? It would just be if management or Triple H decides, hey, you know what, I think, why don't we just run this by Vince, see what he would do if he had influence, right? And then that's the only time he would is if it's optional and they're looking for a little additional additional help. But outside of that, um, you know, that's the only hope we have as fans is Vince McMahon being ousted by Endeavor itself and management at Endeavor. So, all right. Well, uh, what else happened? I think the big ticket item of the week, still talking about Brock Lesnar taking down Cody Rhodes. And I I know that a lot of people are down on it. The ratings were awful. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I know a lot of people do. Uh, And it wasn't exactly an exciting Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania. Neither was last year. I, I mean, you know, if I recall, I, I remember being very, very down on last year's uh, Raw After Mania. This one I felt down, but not as down. And having Brock be the main topic coming out of Raw, I don't hate. I was the one who was complaining about the fact that, hey, you're, you're just putting Brock in a four-minute match. 
You're not utilizing him. Uh, this happy-go-lucky cowboy is uh, wearing thin. You're not maximizing the, the asset that you're paying millions to. And I actually advocated as a dark horse possibility that he'd come in and screw Cody out of the belt and uh, join the bloodline. And boy, are we, we're halfway there. He beat up Cody and got him off the uh, title chase. And it looks like Roman Reigns isn't even going to compete at Backlash. And he's taking the, the pay-per-view off. And that's the one criticism about this whole run that Roman's had. And I've, we've gone over this as like, yeah, Roman's been champion for uh, you know almost 1,000 days, 951 to be exact. But he takes long periods off. So it's not difficult to accrue time when you take like five-week chunks off or eight weeks off at a time between title defenses. That's not every time he defends it, but there's been many over the last nearly three years that Roman has taken where he skips one B quote unquote B pay-per-view and then, you know, re- rejoins you at the next. And that seems to be the case here where Roman is going to just disappear for a little while. It's about Jay. It's about Jimmy. It's about solo. It's about Paul and the, uh, Sammy and, and Kevin dynamic. That's still being resolved. And with Roman reigns, he again is probably going to take some time off. There's not going to be a clear cut defined opponent for Roman. He, more than likely he's not going to compete at backlash. So those that are expecting him to, my guess is no, I could be wrong, but that's my guess. Um, but, uh, Brock Lesnar beating down Cody, Cody and, and Brock. It's a fun, it's a fun program. Now, is it Cody chasing the belt? No. If you're a Cody fan who wants to finish the story, well, there's other times to finish the story. This is just a detour for Cody. And I don't hate it. And the way Brock Lesnar beat him down Monday, it was vicious. It was brutal. The fans went along with it. That was key. They didn't chant bull. You know, I understand the frustration for WWE advertising a massive, maybe one of the biggest tag team matches Raw's ever had. And then you deliver, don't deliver on it. Number one, WWE doesn't do that a lot. Okay. So that's a, a, a pass there. But also you got to see a major angle with a major star turning heel and you just got to see multiple F fives and destruction. Okay. So you could justify it that way. Uh, so as long as WWE doesn't do this on the regular, then I think it's excusable and seeing Brock Lesnar beat down Cody, you know, kind of makes you want to see Cody get revenge and have Brock Lesnar explain why he did what he did. And, uh, I, I guess we got a little bit of an explanation on, on SmackDown, which, was that from the announcer? I think it was was it Cole or was it Wade Barrett? I can't remember. Mentioned that they've heard that uh, Brock Lesnar was PO'd at the fact that Cody went on in the main event and Brock Lesnar went on first. I mean that that that's his gripe. Weak. Right? That's kind of weak sauce. If that is truly what the narrative is that they're going to go with. Again, you know, not, not exactly the strongest of explanations. And sadly, I've got to the point where, especially with Brock Lesnar storylines, that we just have to be, you know, be content with the fact that they give us an explanation at all. I mean, think about Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. We still never got an explanation at all as to why exactly Brock Lesnar attack Bobby Lashley. And I, I know that's not, that's obviously months and months ago, but my point is 
that with Brock, it seems to be that they feel they don't need to go in super depth of why Brock does what he does. They just go with, well, it's Brock. That, that's a cop out to me. I think they feel that he's a big enough star that people don't care about the story or care as to how or why Brock does stuff. But I, I would argue it's an even more of an importance if you're a big star because that helps you make other new stars and helps you care one way or the other if the person they're opposing wins or not. And it's just, there's there's just so many different reasons. But hey, if that's the narrative they're going with, yes, it's weak sauce. Oh, I was on first, you were on last. Oh, okay, whose fault is that, right? Like <laughs> the, the, the promotion, I don't know, it's weird. But let's see what Brock says, if he says anything at all on Monday night. Also, Brock flipping off. I didn't address this on my Monday Night Raw review, but Brock flipping off the cameras or really flipping off uh, everyone in the ring. And, uh, I mean, it was interesting that they did that in a PG environment, but uh, the limits of PG seem to always be expanded, don't they? And I I guess that's just... I I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It's just Brock being Brock, I guess. So, anyway. All right, let's move on. So, Matt Riddle has made a return. He came back to Raw, and he took out The Miz, because who isn't these days, and a good reception. And then on uh, SmackDown, he came out to assist Sammy, who was getting beat down after Solo screwed Sammy out of the match with Jey Uso. And the reason Kevin didn't come out is because Solo had presumably attacked him backstage and Kevin was injured. I'm still... A little nervous that this is a setup for Kevin to turn on Sammy because we never saw the attack itself. Maybe they're working in cahoots to teach Sammy a lesson. I I don't know. I with how many turns Kevin has done, I just do I think it's gonna happen still? No. But if you're looking for scraps of evidence, this is another one. I and also having Sammy defy the advice of Kevin and that resulted in Kevin getting injured. I just, oh man, I, I, I'm nervous they're going to do a Kevin Owens turn. It, I would really strongly advise against it. If they had never turned on each other or it happened years and years and years ago, you know, and, and people kind of forgot about it in NXT or whatever, then like I could see it being justified. But there have been so many turns by Kevin Owens on so many different people. And we've seen these two battles so many times, it would really, I think, cause fans to feel indifferent and just go, oh, come on. That's what it would feel like because it also, it would chip away at the the motivation for fans to get invested in a storyline to see a payoff only to have WWE turn on it and do it like on about face. So I hope they don't do it. But if you're looking for evidence, sadly, there was a little bit of it this week. Anyway, I don't hate Matt Riddle coming out. He didn't get a big reaction. I will say that unless, you know, someone in person can uh, can debate me on that. I haven't talked to anybody that was in person there for uh, Portland in Portland, Oregon. But, you know, Matt Riddle hasn't exactly done a whole lot over the last several months being out and having Riddle come out where you really wanted to see a you know a bigger baby face like Kevin Owens somehow struggle to come out or whatever it's kind of like a disappointment pop it's like 
oh, well, at least some baby face is coming out. It's not who we wanted, but you'll do. That's kind of the pop that Matt Riddle got. And I think there's some value in Riddle. I mean, the fact that they're putting him right into the main event here speaks volumes. Now, he's not going to be a mainstay, I don't think. But it's, I think, a nice, um, a nice way to reintroduce Matt Riddle. And also, I think it's a great way to lay the foundation for a Randy Orton return. Because I think what's going to happen is you're going to have Kevin Owen, Kevin Owens, Sammy, and Riddle all be outnumbered by the bloodline since it'd be four on three. And then Randy Orton's going to come out to make the save on Riddle. Maybe when, uh, you know, we have Reigns about to give Riddle a concerto or something and all three men are down, Randy Orton's music hits. And that could happen maybe the Friday after Backlash is over. And, you know, May, whatever the hell it is, May 8th, 9th, whatever that, uh, whenever that actual Friday hits, that's a good way to sell uh, set up Randy versus um, Roman Reigns for the Saudi event at the end of May, which is his that exact thousandth day. I think that's a perfect way to do it. So I think that's maybe where we reintroduce Randy Orton is at that time to set up that uh, match for uh, Saudi. And that's my prediction, early prediction. So anyway, getting way out into the future here. This is about the week in WWE. And again, I like the Matt Riddle, uh, the Matt Riddle assistance. It's a new face. And I love how also, and I was very surprised that they even bothered to do this, but I like it. They told you why Riddle's coming out. It wasn't just, and what is he doing here, right? Or, or just you default back to, well, they're both baby faces. They're both good guys. It makes sense that they're standing up for each other. No, they reminded you. I think it was Cole. I got to give him credit for reminding us that the reason Riddle is attacking the bloodline is, well, uh, Solo took him out a number of months ago. And that's why Riddle's back, to get revenge, exact revenge. So uh, they don't always do that. And you're sometimes left to just put the pieces together yourself or WWE just hopes you don't remember why they're attacking or they don't have a reason or they forget. This was coherent. And it wasn't just a random uh, alliance between baby faces. This uh, made total sense. So I, I give uh, Cole credit and WWE credit here for rounding out the story. But now we just got to complete it with Randy. All right, what else happened this week in WWE? We got the uh, the women's side of things. You know, one thing that made no sense to me, they kept advertising this week in WWE. They kept advertising that this week on Raw, meaning tomorrow night as I record this or tonight as you listen to this, that we're going to have a women's tag team title match between Becky Lynch and uh, Lita, who are the reigning women's tag team champions. And they're going to take on... Liv and Raquel Rodriguez next week in a women's tag team title match. Well, tonight, right? Why? I have a couple of problems with this. Number one, what did they do to earn this other than just simply existing in the tag team division for the women? And I say tag team division for for the women as just kind of like uh, you know, that they have to have one to have a tag team champion champions. But they really don't, right? They're, they're all just made up of single stars that don't have anything else going on, and they're very flimsy, and they're not real tag teams. You can make that argument. However, that's not even the point here, or the problem. Number one, the, the problem is, as I mentioned, what did they do to earn it? Number two, didn't 
Ronda and Shayna win the women's tag team uh, showcase match. Now, I know they didn't really participate much, and it was the most irrelevant um, WrestleMania for Ronda Rousey ever. But if they won the match, then what exactly are they doing jumping ahead of the line to get a women's tag team title match? How does that happen? This this is, again, this was something Vince did a lot. And this, these are the things that Vince just doesn't give a damn about, assuming he's the one that constructed this. And, you know, that's all, of course, assumptions, but I think it's a safe one. This is very Vince McMahon-esque. Uh, and, you know, I don't also, here's the thing. I don't want to just, everything I don't like about creative, I don't think it's fair to just say, well, that's Vince, that's Vince. And everything I like is, oh, that's Paul Levesque, that's Triple H, right? I, that's not fair. That's my instinct, but I also know that it's a conscious bias that I need to be aware of, of uh, anything I don't like being, well, that's got to be Vince. However, there is evidence to support that Vince did do this a lot before Triple H even came into the picture. So that said, uh, I just don't understand it. Now, if this is simply being used as a vehicle to get Rhonda and Shayna on uh, on Raw to attack Becky and Lita, which is probably the case. I mean, they're going to beat Liv and Raquel. I mean, that's that's not the point. It's just a vehicle to get to Ronda Shayna versus Becky and Lita. Then f- I get it. I get it. And ultimately, if the ends justify the means, then who's going to care about how they got there? I do because I like coherent storytelling. So anyway, that's probably my prediction. No, that is my prediction for Monday Night Raw. And I think it's a safe one. If they're going to get to Becky and uh, Becky and Shayna to actually do something of significance, that'd be fun. Now, the WWE draft, I haven't even got there. Let me address this. I want to be excited for this. I really do. And I know a lot of you are coming at me, oh, way too negative. This podcast would be so good if you weren't so negative. I've gotten a lot of that. And I've just, I mean, I've just kind of gone past it. And I really just, I'll, I'll never be positive if I don't feel positive about it. Like, this is the most authentic. I could be about the product. Okay. So if I don't like something, I'm going to tell you, and that's all there is to it. And there's a lot of positive things coming. There really are. I got, I've got some good stuff to talk about too. So for those of you that are just like, Oh, he's so negative. Well, number one, if you got this far, stick with me. Okay. We got some good stuff coming. Um, the draft, I want to be excited. I do. I, I, I just, I have no, reason to believe that I should be. Why? Do I need to explain why? Do I need to tell you exactly why this is not exciting to me? Now, the one element that is exciting to me, new talent, NXT call-ups, independent signings, maybe a, a defector or two coming back from AEW to WWE. And yeah, I've heard the rumors about Drew unhappy and wanting to go to AEW. I've heard about the Drew McIntyre rumors. I'm not going to address those because I don't think there's any substance to them yet. As things maybe progress and his contract expires, we have something to talk about. So, But that's the one thing I'm excited about for the draft, right? New faces, new blood, new matchups, right? Easy peasy. But what it's at the heart of the draft, even more so than who's in it, And by the way, they're making a big deal about everyone's eligible. They say that every year. 
I don't know why that's even a thing. Of course, everyone's eligible. Did they have people who weren't? I mean, okay, you, the part-timers, uh, Cena, Austin, Rock, if you know if he ever comes back. Of course, yeah, like those are kind of implied. You're not going to draft John Cena. We know that. But to, 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 for them to make it a point that it's such a big deal that everyone's eligible, yeah, like no kidding. <laughs> so that's a non-factor to me. But the core of this, at its roots, what makes this special in principle is that you have two worlds separated from themselves. You have the SmackDown world here. You have the Raw world over here. You build stars and programs over here, and you build stars and programs over there. And then you start to fantasize Wow, what if they collided in the Rumble? Whoa, what what if one of them kind of you know screwed the other at a, at a Survivor Series? Or imagine that matchup at WrestleMania. That is, in principle, the benefits of it. And you give guys who normally wouldn't have the time if it were just a singular storyline running through Raw and SmackDown, and there was no no official draft. <clears throat> you give guys that otherwise wouldn't have a chance a chance. To shine, it helps build more stars. That's the benefits. The drawbacks are, well, very simply put, WWE cannot, for the life of them, follow their own rules. You have people coming over from one brand to the other all the time. There's still a draft in effect, by the way, from like you know two, three years ago, and you just have them happen. They happen to be there because it's convenient for the story. They're there with no explanation. No one even makes a big deal about it. Then you implement random wild. Remember the wild card rule? Remember the quarterly invitational rule that just suddenly just vanished up in smoke? It, it, all it did, all those were, were public admissions of creative ineptitude. What do I mean by that? I don't know why I'm using big words, guys. I'm sorry. It means that they didn't have a way to get out of a jam or they felt that they couldn't put on a good enough show. So they allowed in their own world, men and women to cross over shows only certain times of the year. And then once they got a taste of it, they're like, actually, we kind of need them all the time. So they did away with that. And then people just started showing up out of nowhere for no reason. And no one even says anything. That's the biggest problem I have because you're trying to sell a bill of goods that you're not going to follow. That's the problem. You're BSing us. And they have never, ever had a draft, at least in my recent memory, in which they had they held to their own standards. I don't mind if it happens once in a blue moon because then it's a big deal. Then it feels like a big deal. But in order to get that feeling of it being, a, being a big deal, you need to keep them separated and you need to have, oh, here's a keyword, discipline in following your own effing rules. Now, can they do that? I have no reason to believe they can, and I don't think they will. In fact, I'm going to put a poll up on Twitter as I speak. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a poll of the over-under on how long it's going to take for WWE to violate their own rules after the draft is enacted. And Triple H said, in just a few short weeks, whatever the hell that means, I think it means the Friday before the pay-per-view, I think. I think it probably means May 3rd, but he didn't give an exact date, which is weird. How do you not have an exact date? He was so ambiguous about it. That's the other weird thing. So, again, another Vince thing to do here um, because what they're going to do is put a draft into place. Sure, we'll have some new names, new call-ups. That's cool. 
but you're going to violate your own damn rules. And then we're back to square one. And this whole draft is a mirage. So <clears throat> anyway, that's how I feel about it. And I'm going to pull a po- put a poll up on Twitter of the over under. I'm going to say over under is four weeks. And that's generous. I was going to go to I'll go four weeks before somebody crosses over a show that they have no business being at. And uh, even if the announcers address it, and they should, I'm like, oh, they're a raw guy now. What are they doing on SmackDown? They're still violating the rules, even if the announcer acknowledges it. So I'm going to put that up. Let me know what you guys think of the over-under on that on Twitter, which, by the way, you can follow me at wrestling underscore audio. All right, let's dive a little bit more into SmackDown. Um, We got the Brawling Brutes, who took on Imperium in a six-man tag match. The the, uh, Brawling Brutes won here, and they won in about 12 minutes. A bit surprising given that Gunther is a part of a losing team. I know Gunther didn't take the fall, but still, right? Like, you have Gunther who's on an amazing roll, has been one of the biggest and most impactful stars on SmackDown, is a pillar of SmackDown. I just, it was a bit surprising. I don't hate the decision, but the match was, as you'd expect, physical as hell. Uh, just the crowd was into it. And it was the first match on the show, so that makes sense too. But man, this was this was a. Anytime you see these six men in the ring, I mean, it's just it's, it's such a joy to watch. And I didn't hate it. So Sheamus uh, got the brogue kick and the victory, and uh, on Vinci, by the way, which was good. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, Gunther does what he does, and he didn't have a huge role in this match, but he had some a couple of near falls. Uh, just knows how to sell, and just I, I have nothing bad to say about uh, Gunther at all. Nothing. Future world champion, 2023. I don't know because Roman just WWE doesn't want to let it go. So, all right, let's go here. We've got the uh, next match here: Ivar versus Ricochet. Ricochet beats Ivar in four minutes. This also was a bit surprising of the outcome. Given that Ivar and the uh, revived Viking Raiders seem to be getting on a roll and Ricochet just beats them. So I I really just don't understand why Ricochet got the victory here, given that you want to continue the momentum of the Viking Raiders. A bit of a questionable decision here. And yeah, okay, Ricochet is a human highlight reel. Whatever the hell that means. By the way, uh, there are no highlight reels in which women or women, which humans are not a part of in sports. So, like, yeah, everyone I guess is a potential human highlight reel. I mean, I get the implication, but if we're gonna break it down and uh, destroy the euphemism, then there you go. All right, <laughs> moving on. We've got uh, again that Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez tag team facing Natalia and Shotzi. Very quick match here, under three minutes. And it ended with uh, a Morgan getting Morgan getting a tornado DDT on Shotzi and hitting her with Oblivion before getting the victory. Not a good match, but honestly, when you get under three minutes, you gotta kind of rush anyway, and it's not fair. But that doesn't mean you have to perform the maneuvers sloppily, and that's kind of what we got here. The and I don't know really who to blame here, who to point the finger at. 
Liv Morgan and Shotzi, uh, the, the DDT was sloppy. Oblivion was even sloppier. Uh, Oblivion is not an easy move to sell or really execute with precision. So, I mean, there's that, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it just was not a clean match. It wasn't good. It just, all it did was just remind you that, oh, there's a women's tag team match coming up on, uh, women's tag team title match coming up on Monday, and the challengers are Liv Morgan and Raquel. See, they just got a victory. They have a chance of beating Lita and, Tri- Lita and, uh, and, and Becky, and the answer is, of course, of course they don't, right? No chance, so. Um, backstage, by the way, we get Xavier Woods and Mad Cat Moss playing video games. Emma was there for some reason and, and you know, whatever LA Knight came in and he complained about not being on the WrestleMania card and Woods said Knight would probably have been on the card if he worked as much as he talks. And then Woods offered to beat Knight in another match and Knight picked up the video game controller and threw it on the ground. And then, uh, Moss had to hold back Woods from going after Knight. So apparently, I mean, you can insult Woods, you know, you, you can attack his friends, you can, you know, personally attack him. But what really sends Woods over the over the top is when you throw a PS5 controller at the ground. I mean, that that is what does it. That's what crosses the line. <laughs> so uh, I've never seen Woods so angry. I mean, really. The other thing, and this is the more important point and the more uh, egregious sin, dare I say, cardinal sin unforgivable sin is not that they were even playing video games, which look, they're trying to promote 2k 23. I get it. I don't like it that we're supposed to think that some wrestlers are backstage just playing video games. And, and the thing is in reality, some of them probably actually are. And from the stories you hear, some guys actually are, but we don't want to think that these guys are being paid very well, professional athletes and they're backstage playing effing video games, but that's not even my complaint. I don't know if this is a complaint is more of just embarrassing. Uh, Madcap Moss was using a wired controller. That That is to me the most embarrassing part. And maybe it was just, he was charging the controller. Okay. Like I, I'm not sure, but to see a wired controller in 2023 is uh, it's embarrassing. <laughs> so to me, that was the most standout part of this. Of course, other than LA Knight, who just continues to get big reactions on screen, the crowd popped hot for him. It's clear that the, the crowd is ready for him to do something of relevance and just start racking up victories. You know, that's what they're ready for. He's got such a magnetic personality and he's got star written all over him and his promo, uh, just his cadence his just, he commands the screen. Just, he's just, I don't know what, you know, he's not the perfect guy, right? Like there's no such thing as perfect, but that's a guy that you could, you could put a a championship on and, and just see where it takes you. So I think LA Knight, if he continues on an upward trajectory, maybe 2024, you're looking at a title shot, world title shot. Just that's optimistic. I don't think in 2023, he'll get it because Roman's not going to let it go for a while. You got Gunther right on the heels. Probably Seth Rollins rolling in at some point too, and uh, early prediction. I think Seth and Roman are going to be on the same show when it, when they're drafted. But that that aside, uh, yeah, the the sky is the limit for LA Knight. All right, let's see. We have uh, then a Judgment Day segment, and we got Rhea Ripley coming out, and she shook Triple H's hand, who had just announced the draft. 
and uh, Balor calls Edge a sicko for splitting his head open just to get a victory. Well, apparently Balor never watched WWE prior to 2008. But anyway, Balor asked who the real winner is and said that he has 14 staples in his head and he's still standing where Edge, Edge is nowhere to be seen. I really hope this is not a hint of a continuation of their program. I don't think it is because Edge is gone MIA as expected to, to uh, you know, elongate his career. No problem there. Dominic then took the mic <laughs> and the crowd just won't even let him talk. It's awesome. They just don't even let him speak. And he's got nuclear heat. By the way, it's not nuclear for those out there, it's nuclear. If you say nuclear, yeah, somebody needs to uh, maybe drop a, a, a bionic elbow on you. I don't know. But Dominic getting the heat that he does is so much fun. And a You Suck chant broke out. And what was so fun about this, Dom says that the person who sucks is a father who lays his hands on his own son and that he held back and pulled punches at WrestleMania because he couldn't bring himself to hurt his own father. <laughs> this is great stuff. I mean, it's such a projection of degeneracy. It's I love it. I mean, Dominic playing this role, whoever's writing for him deserves a, uh, a you know more than just a pat on the back here. It's so much fun to hear Dominic speak. It is. Accusing him, accusing, uh, accusing his father of the very thing that he is doing, and then claiming innocence. It's in like he's trying to play the victim. It's great. It's awesome. But Dom says he knows where the lines are drawn, and now Ray and the rest of his family can go to hell and take Bad Bunny with them. Um, you know. Then we got, a, of course, a a bit of a uh, recap of what happened to Bad Bunny getting a choke slam through the announce table on Monday night. And uh, Priest spoke briefly and said that Bad Bunny, hope he hopes Bad Bunny can find it in his heart to forgive him. And he said he forgives Bunny for making him do what he did to him. So this seems like an inevitable tag team match of Bad Bunny and Ray versus Dom and Priest. But I don't know where that leaves Finn. Maybe Finn joins in and Edge does too. So it's a six-person tag team match. I don't know. But some kind of... Some kind of tag team match for sure. <clears throat> All right. Then we did get a tag team match, and that was Dominic and Priest versus Ray and Santos Escobar, who were at ringside with Zelina Vega. Remember that name? Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro. And uh, this was a good match. It was about 10 minutes long, and the right person won. And uh, that was because Priest put Escobar down with the South of Heaven chokeslam. And that was uh, after Ray had hit Dom with a 619, but he didn't know that Dom was not the legal man. And uh, he tagged in Escobar, and then, again, he hit Dom with a 619, or he hit, uh, he hit the 619, Escobar hoisted up Dom, but Priest hit him while Cole noted that Priest was the legal man. Bit confusing there. Basically, the heels won because of a blind tag. That's fine. Fine. You know, I have no problem with this. Reestablishes a little bit of heat for the Judgment Day that had some of it blown off after WrestleMania. Perfect. Fine. Will do, right? Just good stuff. And I also like that WWE is calling this just plain old backlash. 
They dropped the WrestleMania name. Thank God. All right. So uh, we got the main event here after we got the uh, the backstage showing Solo presumably attacking KO. But the main event was Jey Uso versus Sammy, and this was about 10 minutes. And Sammy had tried to convince Jay earlier in the night that, uh, you know, you, there's a way out of this. You don't have to keep doing this, but I, if you force me to, I'm going to continue to beat you week after week to beat some sense into you. Jay said nothing, and you're waiting for a response, but that's when we heard the crashing, which was the attack by Solo and KO. So Jay never got to say anything. But you know the brilliance about Jay? He doesn't have to. I think saying nothing was powerful because that shows the the the, the level of conflict in his brain, and it leaves you to speculate but his body language is so point on point or on fleek as the kids would say that you can kind of figure out what he's thinking. You can deduce some, some emotions there and you can draw your own conclusions, but you know, we don't know what that is yet, but Jay is just so good. I mean, I don't, he's so good from a facials and body language and everything else. It's brilliant. So, but this was kind of a moot point because we did get uh, Sami Zayn getting the best of Jay, but uh, Solo Sokoa picked up Sami for the Simone Spike, but Jay stopped Solo from performing the move. And this was after the match. Um, we did get uh, Jay beating Sami, but it was because of Solo, and then Solo continued the beatdown, but again, Jay stopped Solo, and you're thinking, oh, he's conflicted, but then he ends up super kicking Sammy in the head himself. And that's when, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Matt Riddle comes out to make the save because Kevin Owens couldn't. But uh, it, it just, the fans are ready to embrace Jey Uso. They are so ready. And they can see the conflict building week after week. Now, Roman's not there every week, but he doesn't need to be. And when he is there, things progress more quickly. So it's kind of, a toe of the line, baby step forward. But when Roman ever shows up, it's like, okay, big leap forward, big leap forward, right? More often than not. And that's what makes it fun. The pacing of this Bloodline storyline has been really, really well done and also kind of by accident because of the contract and time off that Roman Reigns has been awarded. And you know what? Afforded and awarded. I know that many people look at that as, you know, look down on it or, or, or maybe are jealous of it. I think that the time off Roman has been afforded has helped in the longevity, of course, of his numbers of days he's been champion. And sure, it's inflated a bit with how much time he takes off in between matches or doesn't show up. But also from a human perspective, Roman is able to stay healthy from a mental and physical perspective much more than he otherwise would if he was doing every house show and on every SmackDown and maybe it shows up to every other Raw He's not being run into the ground, at least that we can see as fans. And I think that helps him out big time. Being able to spend more time with his family, stay grounded, stay healthy. He does Even when he's there, he doesn't wrestle. So I think this is a very strategically, or by accident, plan by WWE and Roman uh, that, that is really, I think, helping in the success of the story that really no one's talking about. So... Not not the story no one's talking about, but one of the reasons for its success is Roman's time off. And not just uh, one way, but multiple. All right. So 
I think, and, and again, I didn't get every nuance here on uh, on SmackDown. We have our great team of John and uh, Michael Ritter who cover SmackDown every single fr- uh, Saturday morning. They they are so great at getting me the show so quickly. I don't know how they do it, um, but there's there's so much fun to listen to, and I really encourage you to go check out the SmackDown review if you want an alternate perspective and you want much more of an in depth look. This is kind of a high level show, you know. I try to get into the weeds a little bit, like uh, like, like I do here, but. It's high-level stuff. Now, if we switch over to Raw, I'm just going to give you the uh, Cliff Notes version of that, if you forgot. And that was uh, Omas versus Elias, with Omas winning, or rather, it was incomplete. It was just, uh, I mean, Omas is back to just being squash, man. Um, Rey Mysterio versus Austin Theory. Austin Theory won, but that was the whole Bad Bunny segment with him being put through a table by Damien. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn beat the Street Profits. That was interesting and a good match, but um, questionable that you would have the team that won the showcase match at Mania not ask for a title match and then also lose definitively to the, 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 the said tag team champions. Weird, but a good match. Just, I think, mistimed and just made no sense. Uh, Ali versus Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley... One, I mean, this was just bad, made no sense. Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez won their match. Uh, then we got Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa that we all know didn't happen. And it was just a beatdown of, uh, of Cody Rhodes to set up Cody versus Brock as the detour of Cody's, Cody's mission to be champion takes, uh, takes effect. And it's time for Cody to focus on something other than the belt for at least a short term. I don't think this is going to be a long-term program with Brock. I think Cody will resume his uh, his quest maybe as soon as the Saudi event, but possibly even uh, after that. I mean, if they don't get the Jay and Roman at Saudi or if it's Randy and Roman at Saudi, it's probably Cody in a rematch in Saudi Arabia or in a multi-person match. Maybe it's Cody versus Randy versus Roman. Hell, you don't know. You know, there's a lot to think about. That's just why, as much as some of you may be frustrated that Roman retained the belt at Mania, there's still so many stories to tell, are there not? If Cody was champion, there's just, I feel like, money left on the table. Because it's cool. Oh, babyface won. Roman's over. Finally, yay. But where do you go? Where do you go? I don't know. I'm not saying Cody would be a bad champion. I think he would be a really good champion. He's fun to talk to, fun to talk to, fun to listen to. Really good in the ring. Feels like he's a main eventer. But it's like you've got one of the best of all time, a, a, a Hall of Famer if he ended his career today, in the prime of his career, and one of the best storylines of his career and best storylines of the past 10 to 15 to 20 years that WWE's ever produced, and the story's not done yet. Why would you not continue it? You know? So, the, the, again... I still don't think they made the wrong decision, and I stand by my statement that they uh, they absolutely made the right decision. They made a good long-term decision here to keep Roman champion, and the argument for Roman keeping is stronger than the argument to take the belt from Roman, so I rest my case, but time will tell, and that'll do it for me here on This Week in WWE, and uh, again, a lot to uh, to dissect as we move forward to Backlash and Get away from WrestleMania. I'm kind of, I don't know about you guys, but I'm done watching the recap videos of Mania. I know they're very proud of it. And they keep, they keep touting that 161,000 number. 
but like I'm sure of a ton of people that were there, a, a very large majority that were there night one bought tickets for night two, no? So like, is it 161,000 unique people? Or is it uh, maybe 60, 80,000 people unique, right? It's kind of the same thing as somebody going to your website and refreshing the page to make it look like you got, oh my God, you know, 8,000 people visit my website. When in fact, it was maybe like 200 people that visited it or 4,000 people that visited it uniquely. See, big difference. But they keep pushing the 161,000 because it sounds better and all that, whatever. Anyway, I'm kind of ready to move past Mania. I hope this week they uh, they got all the WrestleMania recap videos out of their system and we can move on. But uh, we'll we'll see this week. That'll do it for me, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. You can follow me on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. You can join us ad free at patreon.com slash WWE podcast. You can go to uh, Apple Podcasts and subscribe there for a week for free. Or you can go to wwepodcast.com and go ad free VIP. That'll do it for me, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow night with the uh, current state of WWE with Anthony DeMarco. And until then, guys, take care. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.